Okay, we're starting a new series called There Is a Reason. Today's topic is There is Purpose in Your Pain. All right, now, one of the most discouraging or upsetting or disturbing or depressing things that I hear is when somebody says, as this is on your outline, I just don't see the purpose. I just don't see the meaning. I don't see any, make, make any difference. Uh, it could be in any situation, whether hanging in there with my marriage or hanging in there with my kids or, or uh, going to school or, or changing jobs or whatever it might be. There's lots of areas of life where we could just say, I, I, I don't see there's any meaning or purpose to that. Now, especially when we talk about pain, People hate pain, right? Raise your hand. Everybody hates pain, right? Nobody wants to like pain. But there's a caveat here. It's really not true because we all choose pain. All right? So people hate pain without a purpose. If I'm in pain or suffering and there, I don't see any, any good that's going to come from this, I don't see any benefit, I don't see any payoff for this, then, yeah, I'm going to hate that pain. But people can endure a lot of pain if there's a purpose, right? Well, we have a, another ultra-marathoner back here in this service. <laughs> uh, most of you know I've run a bunch of ultra-marathons, 50-mile races. For most of you, that's insane, right? You can't imagine anybody wanting to even do that. All right. So, do you think it's a walk in the park to run 50 miles in a day? No, it's painful. And actually, I got to think about it, there's hundreds of miles of training that you do before you run the race. I talking to uh, John in the first service, the year he ran the JFK, he ran 1,300 miles. All right? So there's a lot of pain involved in running 1,300 miles. But there is a benefit, there is a reward, there's a sense of camaraderie with people that have run, that people that never run one just can't have. So you choose that pain when you choose to run. Any kind of exercise program is painful, right? Um, any diet, choosing to not eat what you want or not eating more than you should, uh, there's pain involved in that. Um, if you've been through some kind of de detox, uh, tried to break some kind of addiction, that's painful, but there's a benefit, a payoff. Uh, in, the, in the video you saw, ladies that have had children, they tell me that's pretty painful. Would, would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, okay. Just checking. The Scripture tells us that. But once you hold that baby, you forget the pain, don't you? The pain was well worth the suffering. So, we can endure lots of pain as long as there's a purpose. There's... There's a reason. We can see a, see a payoff. Now, I want to start with, we're going to talk about Peter mostly this morning. I want to talk, start with talking with you about an incident between Peter and Jesus that bothers me. Not Peter's part that bothers me. Jesus' part bothers me. I don't know if it's, it's true of you also. But we're going to start reading this in Luke. <clears throat> so, Jesus comes to his disciples and said, um, he specifically talks to Simon, but they're all disciples. Each of you, so it's including the disciples. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan asked to shift, sift you, each of you, like wheat. 
Satan has asked me permission to let him attack you, is basically what that means, right? Okay? So, if I'm a disciple, I'm going to say, what do you think Jesus is going to say next? Well, I'm the good shepherd, I take care of my sheep, you're one of my disciples, so I told Satan no. But is that what Jesus did? And that's not what Jesus did. It's amazing, it's fascinating, it's a little baffling. But I have pleaded in prayer for you. Okay, that's wonderful, Jesus, I'm glad you're praying for me. <laughs> that your faith should not fail. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. So you gave him permission? And you're just praying that I'm going to be able to stand up under the attack, is what you're telling me, Jesus. Well, why don't you just skip the prayer and just not give him permission? That seems like it'd be a lot easier. Certainly it'd be easier on me, wouldn't it? Now, Jesus didn't cause whatever conflict and pain and suffering that Peter endured, but he allowed it. Why? And we all feel like we're under attack at times, don't we? Either from Satan or from, you know, evil forces or other people in this world. So, we come with this premise that sometimes God's preparation, or God's schooling for us, comes packaged as pain. If so, then there is purpose in your pain. Whether it's pain for running a marathon or some other kind of pain, there's purpose. So God wants to do something in us, changing us, transforming us so he can do something through us. So we're going to go a quick survey of some of Peter's, for a better word, failures, okay? And I think most of us can relate to Peter for that reason, can't we? So uh, we're going to pick this up. At, where are we at? Matthew. <clears throat> so Jesus is talking to the disciples. He said, okay, I want to make it perfectly clear what my mission is, what my purpose is, why I've come. I mean, he, I'm sure he told them other times, hinted at it. <clears throat> so here, plain as day, he says to his disciples. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem that he would suffer many terrible things. Not just suffer, but then he'd be killed. Now, they didn't hear this last part, I don't think. Well, on the third day, he'd be raised from the dead. So, dying's not such a big deal, I guess, if three days later, he'd come back to life. So, Jesus said, this is my mission. This is my purpose, all right? And so, disciples are his followers. They're his supporters. So you would think they'd jump in and say, okay, Jesus, we're behind you. Well, they didn't see it the same way, did they? They saw him as the Messiah, meaning this come to set up this earthly kingdom. Well, the Messiah is not supposed to die. Well, he was, but they didn't think he was supposed to die. And so Peter does something, well, um, pretty audacious, you might say. Peter takes Jesus aside and says, ah, let me correct you. Now, before we get too tough on Peter, you and I have corrected, tried to correct Jesus lots of times too. Anytime we read something in his word here, he says, do this, and we said, no, I'm doing, not doing that. Or don't do this, and I say, yes, I'm doing that. We're telling Jesus he's wrong, right? 
So that's exactly what Peter did. So Peter takes him aside and says, okay, this translation says reprimands him, corrects him for saying such a thing. He said, heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. You're the Messiah, right? The Messiah's not going to die. Now, one danger that you and I have is that we try and protect people from pain, don't we? And discomfort. That's only natural. When children get sick, you want to give them medicine to make them feel better, for example. But you can't protect, it's not good to protect uh, children from everything, right? Uh, how else will they grow up to be adults? So, what is that term? Helicopter parents. All right, they're just hovering over their kids all the time and don't allow them to learn and learn from the mistakes and, and to grow. So Peter is trying to keep Jesus from, quote, unquote, some discomfort. But then Jesus' response is, okay, Peter, you're right. I'm going to not do that. Well, of course not. So Peter, Jesus says to Peter, he turns to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. Now, it's never good when Jesus is calling you Satan, is it? <laughs> That's what he said to Peter. Uh, you're a little devil. You are a dangerous trap to me, okay? Because you're trying to get me away from God's purpose or mission for me. So that's dangerous. Now, part of the problem is you're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. So from your Peter's human point of view, you don't want me to die. You want me to set up this earthly kingdom. But God's got a bigger purpose, a bigger plan. It's not going to be just about an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly kingdom. So Satan wants us to be like Peter and kind of leave God out of the equation, doesn't he? And that's what Peter was trying to do. So, later on, actually last night of Jesus' life, Jesus takes some disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And um, we'll pick the story up there uh, in Matthew chapter 26. He told them, his disciples, actually the text says, uh, Peter, James, and John, uh, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Right, he's in agony. He knows what's coming. Stay here and keep watch with me. So you pray well, for me as I'm praying. That's a worthy request, right? So the text goes on. He went a little farther. Uh, bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, my Father, is it possible? Let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. I don't want to suffer and die on a cross. Is there, I, I know that's why I've came, but you know, last-ditch effort here. Is there some way possible I don't have to do that? But if not, if so, I know that's why I've come. So I will do, your will be done, not mine. So we don't know how long he prays. He prays for a while. He goes back, checks on his disciples. What's he find? They're doing a good job? Not so good a job. Found them asleep. And he said to Peter, again, there was others there, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? So maybe he prayed an hour. Well, he goes off and prays again. He comes back, guess what? They fell asleep again. He doesn't even wake them up this time. He goes off and prays a third time. And he says, okay, 
It's my time. And they go off. So Peter failed him. Fell asleep. He asked him to pray in the most important part, time in his life. And Peter failed him. So they come to arrest Jesus. So what's Peter do? Maybe he's trying to make up for his, this failure. But they come and he grabs his sword and tries to cut a guy's head off. That's really like Jesus, right? Is that what Jesus would want? He didn't do a very good job of it. He just cut the guy's ear off. And, uh, of course, Jesus rebukes him and he heals him. He says, Peter, Simon Peter, put your sword back in the sheath. Am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? So again, Peter tried to take things into his own hands. He's trying to manipulate things or control things, like you and I do, right? And um, Peter, God, Jesus rebuked him. This, this, this is why I've come. You're interfering. You're not helping. You're hurting. You're harming. And probably Peter's biggest failure, most of you are aware of, after Jesus is arrested, he, he follows along. He's watching the proceedings all along. And he gets uh, waiting by a fire, and this little girl comes up and says, um, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? <laughs> he said, nah, I don't know that guy. And within a, a period of time, this happens three times to, to, to Peter. And each time he gets more animate in his denial of being one of Jesus' followers. Most of you know the story. Well, Jesus had told him previously that it was going to happen. He said, before the uh, morning comes, you're going to deny me, not once, Peter, not twice. You're going to deny me three times. Peter said, of course, it never happened. I'll die for you, Jesus. And so this happens three times. He denies him. <clears throat> so we'll pick up the story there. At that moment, after he denied him the third time, at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So evidently they were in a place where he could see each other. Suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Oh no. He told me I did this. I didn't I was absolutely certain I wasn't going to do it, and I did it anyway. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you'd ever knew me. And so what's Peter do? The text says he left the courtyard weeping. Bitterly. I'm such a failure. I was so sure I would stick by Jesus and these girls accused me of being his followers and I denied him. Not once, twice, but three times. I am such a failure. We've all been there, maybe not necessarily done exactly what, but we've all felt like failures, haven't we? Whether it's with diets or exercise programs or something more serious, a marriage or some other relationship. Sometimes all of us feel like a failure, don't we? It may be um, spending our money foolishly that we shouldn't. It may be some addiction. And we, not funny thing about addictions, but addictions are you, you, you promise yourself you're not going to do it the next time, don't you? And what happens the next time? You do it again. And you feel like a failure. And then, of course, we talked about the fruit of the Spirit a while back. We're not love, joy, peace. And I have, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to have all those characteristics because I have the Holy Spirit in me. Too, and I don't seem to have some of them sometimes. 
and I feel like a spiritual failure. So, where was God in the middle of Peter's failures? Where was he? Did he say, thanks, but no thanks, Peter? One question I have is, what kind of look do you think Jesus gave Peter after he denied him three times? I told you so, look. That's not the Jesus I know. In fact, we'll get back to the story here in a minute, but God loves us unconditionally. Jesus loved Peter unconditionally. In fact, he knew it was going to happen. It wasn't a big surprise, right? He predicted it. Where was God in the middle of Peter's pain, suffering, regret? And where is God in the middle of your and my pain or suffering or regret? Well, again, there was a purpose for Peter, and we'll get to that in a minute. And there's a purpose for you and for me. Again, sometimes God's preparation comes packaged as pain. God's schooling, God's working in your life and my life, sometimes it's painful. Now here's something that's hard, easy to say but hard to do. Try not to look at life through the perspective of pain. And it's hard not to when you're in the midst of it, isn't it? But instead of being controlled by the pain, try to use the pain, see through the pain, the perspective of purpose. Okay. God must have a purpose. In fact, Scripture tells us that. In fact, probably everybody here knows this passage of Scripture, but we really don't know it. And I'll explain that in a second. Because it starts out, and we know. Romans 8.28. And we know. What do we know? Well, we're supposed to know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, I think we agree with that, causes all things to work together for good. Do you and I believe that? Why do we fret and worry so much? If God's going to work everything out for good. And our our regrets and our grief and our pain for our mess-ups. Do we really know? Do we really believe it? That God causes all things to work together. He's got a plan for the good of those who love God, <clears throat> to those who are called according to his plan and purpose. He's got a purpose I'm going to talk about for several weeks. He's got a plan and a purpose for all of us. See, part of our problem is we don't really believe God's character that we claim we do. So we say God's all-powerful, right? Well, if God's all-powerful, this is easy for anything for him to do, right? Well, if not, then he must not be all-loving because the loving thing to do is make all things work out together for good. Or maybe he can't be everywhere at once. He's not, he must be limited in space and time. Otherwise, he would cause all things to be together for good. Now, of course, a, a pushback I anticipated, well, pastor, you live in your little pastor world and you don't know what real life is like. You don't know what pain and suffering and regrets I'm experiencing. Well, for one, no, I don't know what you're experiencing. But my little pastor world is not any different than your world. I have my pain and suffering just as well as you folks do. So perhaps, perhaps, the stronger 
the pain on your outline, the bigger the purpose of God. Little pain, little purpose. Big pain, big purpose. We saw a lot of pain in Peter, didn't we? So is he going to have a big purpose, or did he? We'll see that in a minute. So, got to think about James chapter 1. There's another thing that bothers me when I read it. All right? No, it bothers you. Jesus' brother, James, when he writes, he just kind of jumps in. This is the beginning of his letter. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So I've got pain and suffering. I'm, yippee, I'm happy. One translation says a gift. Do you look at pain and suffering as a gift, folks? I don't, not normally. But he explains why. So why, why well, it seems contradictory, why is it, would it make sense? Well, he tells us. For you know, I don't know if we know or not, he says you should know, that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So, what's the purpose of the pain? It's for growth. Now, as you have children, you want your children to grow up to be healthy and strong, right? Those of you who plant gardens, you want your, uh, whatever you plant to grow. So, growth is purpose. And so, James is saying, all right, pain and suffering in your life are tests. They are pushing the growth component in your life, in my life. Spiritual maturity, if you want to call it that. So, he goes on and says, so let it grow. Which means, let the pain and suffering come. For when it, endurance is fully developed, as I'm fully grown, mature, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. That's amazing. So again, sometimes God's preparation comes packaged as pain. So let's get back to Simon. Remember when Jesus addressed him and told him, well, Satan's come to me and asked me to let him attack you. Simon, Siner, Simon, Satan has asked to shift each of you like wheat. And then Jesus said, what? But I have pleaded in prayer for you, which again is nice, but why didn't you tell him no? Um, your faith, so your faith should not fail. Next verse. So, what? when you have repented and turned to me again. All right, Peter, I know you're going to make this failure. Uh, you're going to fail, you're going to mess up, you're going to have regrets. But long as you repent and turn back to me, I blew it, God, again. There's no limit. Uh, forgive me. Thank you for forgiving me. You will be strengthened. You will grow. And then you can help others grow. <clears throat> so, you have been hurt. You have grown. This is not a bad thing. This is something that you can use to help other people, strengthen others. So, we could say, easy to say, Peter's pain was actually preparation, right? Preparation for something. What do you think it was preparation for? How do we know it was preparation? 
So we've seen Peter fail, we saw Peter fail, we saw Peter fail, we saw Peter fail, right? So, Jesus is crucified, he's raised on the third day, hangs here around on earth for 40 days or so, and he ascends into heaven, and then he leaves the disciples, right? We call it the church. Well, 10 days later or so, Holy Spirit comes, to call it Pentecost, and there's going to be a sermon preached out on the streets in front of the temple. So who is God going to choose to preach that first sermon, do you think? Maybe John. John said, I'm Jesus' favorite. I don't know if he was or not. I don't think he was. But uh, <clears throat> no, we, most of you probably know. Who gets to preach that first sermon? Who do you think has grown to the place where they're ready to preach that first sermon? A guy by the name of Peter. Let me just read the one verse. He preaches the sermon and the people say, okay, what, what do we need to do? Well, nobody knew that better than Peter about repentance, did he? But he said, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God, like I have, like I've experienced, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So God took Peter through that school of pain after pain and suffering, failure, and regrets. So he could graduate to the place to be the preacher to deliver God's message of good news on the first Pentecost. So God was doing something in the middle of Peter's pain. He was transforming. He was molding him. And it's exactly the same thing he does in your life, in my life. On your outline. You may not see it. And probably you, most of the time, you will not see it. Or not initially. So, what do we have to do? By faith, choose to believe it. So when you're going through that hardship, or that pain, or that suffering, whether it's relationally, or financially, or health-wise, or whatever, can't see the purpose, but I know my God, so by faith, I choose to believe there is some good. See, part of our problem is we, we look at life as snapshots. So, we look at the pain and suffering going through now. God sees the big picture. And you and, what you and I need to do is we need to look at life in yearly blocks, okay? So, yeah, five years ago, I had this problem, this difficulty. It's five years later. I'm a different person now. I've grown. I've matured. In fact, I've even been able to use that to help somebody else. So, again, you may not always see it by faith. Choose to believe it. What will it be for you? One of the neat things God does is He births ministry out of people's pain. Um, by the way, we're starting to collect for Micah's backpack. They're going to start delivering food again this week to kids because they're going back to school. And so, somebody saw kids not having food to eat and developed this ministry called Micah back, Micah's Backpack. And it hurts us to know that kids in our community don't have food to eat on the weekend. So that's why our church is involved, right? So that ministry was born out of those kids' pain and our pain for seeing them suffer. Another thing about pain is it gets you out of your comfort zone. 
I read this this week and I think it's true. Americans' greatest idol is comfort. I couldn't argue with it. Everybody just wants the easiest, most comfortable life possible. Nobody wants to sacrifice. Nobody wants to, you know, not nobody, but most people. That's their goal in life. Be as comfortable as possible. Well, if I look at Jesus, was that Jesus' goal in life? He said, I didn't even come to be served, but to serve. That's not comfortable. So pain often gets us out of our comfort zone. And perhaps, and we're about finished, the greatest pain, the greater the pain, the greater the purpose. So, what was the greatest pain the world has known? Perfect Son of God coming to earth and rejecting Him, torturing Him, and crucifying Him. Right? Greatest pain. Yet that was the greatest purpose. Only because Jesus did that, you and I can have a personal relationship with God. Our sins forgiven in eternity with God in heaven. So, on your outline, because with our God, there's always a purpose. Our God is that good. Our God is that powerful. Our God is that smart. In fact, I love the expression, God never wastes a hurt. So, that's your assignment. What pain are you going through? By faith, seek to discover God's purpose. And it probably won't be tomorrow, but someday you'll know. Let me pray with you. <clears throat> oh, thank you, God, for Peter's example. Because <laughs> we all have felt like failures. We have been failures. We've met mess-ups. We have regrets. But you can take Peter and grow him to the place he delivered that powerful message on Pentecost. And you can take me and make me a preacher of the gospel for 45 years. And you can take each of us and make something great. Maybe it's just to be a fantastic parent pouring into your kids. And God, I would pray that we would see our pain as having a purpose. If nothing less or nothing more, than to grow us, to mature us. And so God, yes, we thank you for opportunities to grow because there is a purpose. And we pray for those without uh, knowledge, personal knowledge of you, Jesus, that they haven't accepted your gift of forgiveness and eternal life. We pray that even now they'd say yes to you. Yes, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. We thank you that you love us enough to do that. Father God, continue to speak as we close this service out. Let it be all for your honor and glory. Amen.